Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we now turn our attention to your word, Lord. I pray that we worship you appropriately. We respond in a way that turns our hearts towards Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. The city of Mosul in modern Iraq is located on the Tigris River. The ancient city of Nineveh is actually located on the same Tigris River just across from where modern-day Mosul is. And we know a thing or two, maybe we've heard about Mosul just because of all the activity over the last two decades that has happened with our country in the nation of Iraq. Actually, I should correct myself and say three decades now up into this point. But Nineveh was actually the capital of Assyria, which was a military power in the region at that particular time when the city of Nineveh existed. What you're seeing here is an artist's rendition of what Nineveh would have looked like back in the day. See, if you notice from this picture, Nineveh had 100-foot high walls. And on these walls surrounding the city that were 100 feet high, they had over 1,500 Guard towers watching over the city. All indications would lead you to believe that the city of Nineveh would be around for a long time with 100 foot high walls located on the Tigris, over 1,500 watchtowers. You would think that Nineveh was going nowhere anytime soon. It was going to be right there, a fortified city. Today, there is nothing left, though, of Assyria where Nineveh was actually located. Which means there is nothing left of Nineveh. And true to what an archaeologist does, they dig up old remains. Nineveh is now buried below the surface. When we say the city of Nineveh was ancient, the city was most definitely ancient. Nineveh was actually first mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 10, verse 11, where God's word states this, from that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. Now, the he being talked about here in Genesis 10 is actually Nimrod from the book of Nahum. Nineveh was last mentioned for the last time in that book of Nahum, and this was said about a prophecy of Nineveh's fall around maybe 612 B.C., That's when the prophecy of the destruction and fall of Nineveh was actually proclaimed. However, in between Nineveh's construction that we see in Genesis 10 and the eventual fall that we see in the book of Nahum, we have the prophet Jonah, who went to Nineveh to preach repentance. And this is where we introduce our protagonist, Jonah. The name Jonah actually means dove or truth. Most often doves are associated with peace. When when you hear dove or you see a dove, most often the first thing that we're going to think about is actually peace. This is an interesting name for Jonah though, because as we come to know Jonah, as we, we get into this story, we're going to realize that Jonah is actually probably more of a hawk 
than a dove. One commentator actually says that himself. He says he seems more like a hawk than a dove. This is because of his refusal to obey God. But he refused God in his command for Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach repentance and preach forgiveness. Because, you know, a hawk would actually obey that. Or actually, excuse me, a dove would obey that, but a hawk wouldn't, right? Because what would a hawk do? A hawk would basically say, when they look at a city like Nineveh, they would, they would say something like, they do not deserve your mercy, God. You want me to go there and preach repentance and forgiveness? The Ninevites don't deserve your mercy. There is nothing but heathens in Nineveh. However, as we'll find, Jonah will eventually come around. And this is why his name actually means dove. It's because he loved his own nation and people above all else. See, see what we're getting? Jonah loved his own people and own nation so much, he wasn't going to go do what God had asked him to do to the pagans. He didn't want him being, he didn't want to be told that he has to go there and preach repentance and forgiveness because that didn't belong to them. Again, this is why his name actually means dove. It really has less to do with peace at this point because there's something about doves that, that most of us fail to recognize. I know that, that I do because when I hear dove, the first thing I always think about is peace or maybe truth secondary, but peace first and foremost. But there's something else about doves that is very interesting and it plays right into Jonah's character. See, doves are actually homing birds. There's actually a place here in Lakeland, Florida, that you can have supply doves at a funeral. They will release the doves at the funeral, and the doves will leave and then come back. It's actually been said that these particular doves can leave up to 500 miles away and still find their way back home. See, that's something that we don't always think about. We always think about that with pigeons, right? But then again, what did the dove do on the ark? Jonah loved his people so much, so he suffered from what we would probably consider a narrow view of nationalism. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that should be familiar to a lot of us, shouldn't it? I mean, we hear things like, America first. That can be a narrow view of nationalism. See, he didn't want to share what he knew of the Lord with those in Nineveh. And now he finds himself in a position where the Lord's asking him to be exactly what his name means. Go in peace, in truth, and return back home. Ultimately, what we're going to see in the book of Jonah as we travel through this magnificent story are these four things. And mark these down. We're going to see God's sovereignty. We're going to see that God is ultimately in control. There is no question in the book of Jonah who's in control. We're also going to see God's forgiveness we're going to see God's compassion. 
Ultimately, what we're going to see in this book, in this story of Jonah, is God's mercy. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you about me. One thing that I know for certain is that I need all four in my life. I need God's sovereignty over my life. I don't know what I'm doing. If God told me what it was that I was going to do tomorrow specifically, I would still probably mess it up. I need God's forgiveness for my sin in my life. I need God's compassion upon my life because ultimately none of this happens unless God first displays His mercy again. We look for the gospel parallels. Everything that we see in the book of Jonah should point us to Jesus. And let's get into this this morning in our sermon titled, Nowhere to Run, Nowhere to Hide. Nowhere to Run, Nowhere to Hide. As stated previously, we're in the book of Jonah. We start today in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 and again. What we're dealing with today, quite simply, is God's mercy. Let's get into this text. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before them. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Amen. As we look to put these six verses into a sentence, this sentence will become our main idea that defines everything that we're really seeing here, specifically in the text this morning. And that sentence states this, running from reality is to deny God's mercy. It's that simple. Running from reality is to deny God's mercy. We all have had moments where we've run instead of repented. We all know somebody who is running rather than repenting. And reality tells all of us that we need to repent. We begin with a divine directive, though, here in the text this morning in verse 1, where it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying... What does that word say? Well, we see it right there in the beginning of verse 2, where it says, Arise, go to Nineveh. Now, let's put this into perspective, though. Jonah's being asked to go to Nineveh. Now, what we're talking, this is the 8th century B.C., the 8th century before the birth of Jesus. He's being asked to travel some six hundred miles away from his home, a nation and a people that he loves so dearly. He's being asked 
to leave and go and preach this message of mercy, compassion, ultimately this message of mercy on the people of Nineveh. That's a long distance to travel. Now, the Lord could have easily used any other method that He wanted. He didn't have to use preaching. In fact, the Lord, He didn't even have to use Jonah. But He did, and He chose to use him. And it says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And what does the Lord ask him to do? He says, and call out against it. Jonah was directed to call out, as it says right here in the text, their evil. That's what he's being asked to call out. Evil and wicked are really two terms used throughout this book of Jonah, so we we need to get used to the terminology. Again, the divine directive for Jonah is to call out their evil. However, Jonah is not told exactly what to say specifically. Nowhere in the text do we see a directive that says, say this, this, and this. It just says, call out their evil. So what we do know about this call out, as we see here in the text, is from what's implied from the rest of the book of Jonah. What's implied is that disaster and judgment are coming. Brothers and sisters, allow me to say the same to you. Disaster and judgment is coming. What's true for Nineveh is true for us as well. And Jonah is being asked to share the message of repentance. You know, repentance where you turn away from your sin and turn back towards God. Where you say, I will no longer follow this route. I will turn from the course that I'm heading this way and turn back towards God. Repentance happens though because of one thing that is very important and one thing we cannot get wrong when we go through the book of Jonah. Repentance happens only because of God's mercy. No mercy, no opportunity to repent. And God's mercy then leads to forgiveness, the same forgiveness that's only found in Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we journey through this book, Pay attention again to all of the gospel parallels. Pay attention. God's truth from Genesis to Revelation is consistent in its message about Him. Not about us, but about Him. Without God's forgiveness displayed through Jesus, there is no mercy from what's coming, not only for Nineveh or what came to Nineveh, but also for what's coming to this world. Disaster and judgment. It's God's mercy that's received by those who repent of their sins that matters. That leads to salvation. So really, the question for us at this point, at this stage in the story is, what did Jonah do? He's being asked to go deliver this message of salvation to a people who deserve to hear it because 
We know that nobody really deserves to hear it, but we're all in the same boat. Jonah doesn't deserve it any more than those in Nineveh, so really they deserve to hear it just as much as Jonah did. What did Jonah do? How did he respond to this? Did he take off immediately and, and find himself in Nineveh? Did he take off excited on this, to go on this 600-mile journey? No, he did not, did he? He fled, and he fled to Tarshish. Jonah's foolishness is actually on full display in verse 3. And some of us could say our foolishness is displayed in verse 3 as well. See, what does it say in verse 3? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. As a prophet, Jonah knew full well that God is omnipresent. Now, what we mean by omnipresent is this. It's really a, a big term. Is God isn't everywhere at once. It's not what it means. It means that God is here, and everything happens right before Him. There's nothing that happens that happens outside of the presence of the Lord. The Lord isn't in the chair or a table. It doesn't work like that. He's not in the walls. He's not in stucco outside the building. No. Everything happens before the Lord, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Everything happens, and Jonah knew this, and he was a fool to think that he could go to Tarshish and flee the presence of the Lord. And this is really our, our sermon title's namesake. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Brothers and sisters, we too have nowhere to flee. However, this should give us great comfort, though, because God is always present. He is always there for us. And the same is true for our protagonist in this story, Jonah. The same is true for those in Nineveh who choose to repent. And that's going to be the key. It's for those who choose to repent. And really, what we're trying to say then in these first three verses is this. God's mercy can be refused, but not His presence. God's mercy can be refused, but not His presence. You can choose to refuse God's mercy in your life. And mind you, there's not one of us that hasn't had the mercy of God extended to them. We've all had God's mercy extended to us. But the ball is in our court. We can choose to refuse His mercy, but the one thing at this stage in the game at this point in history is the fact that we cannot flee His presence. There's nothing we can do. There's nowhere we can go to get outside of the presence of the Lord because after all, everything happens right before Him. Again, we're also saying of all of these verses this morning this, that running from reality is really to deny God's mercy. In verses 4 through 6, with divine directive, as we've already stated, comes divine power. See, Jonah has nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. We know this is true because what does the Lord do? It says, the Lord hurled a great wind. He created a mighty tempest, which threatened to break up the ship. However, there is something peculiar about this storm. 
And we find this in verse 5. There's something that is very peculiar about this particular storm. And, and really, the evidence of the peculiarity of the storm is found in the mariners. Because what does it say? Then the mariners were afraid. These are seasoned sailors. They've encountered storms at sea time and time again. This isn't their first rodeo. No, no pun intended. They're seasoned. They've gone through storms before. However, this one was different. They're afraid of this one. They're afraid of the divine power of God. So much so that each were crying out to his God, as it says here in the text. The gods of the mariners, however, unfortunately for them, were false, fictitious, and phony. The Lord used the fear of the mariners to assist in his divine directive for Jonah. I find that remarkable. The Lord can use anything. The Lord can use anyone to draw you to him. He may use you to draw somebody else to him. Church. God can work through sin. If God couldn't work through sin to bring others to salvation, then what is it that Jesus did again? Not only was He fully God, fully man, He went to the cross never having sinned. He died, was buried, and was resurrected showing that He conquered death. All sin leads to death. God wants to extend His mercy to us so we don't experience said death. And that's only achieved through Him in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that the mariner's behavior was acting kind of in human logic because in verse 5 it says, they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Brothers and sisters, remember the gospel parallels, okay? I'm going to, at some point, stop reminding you to remember these, but please, for now, just bear with me. We need to see the gospel in light of what we're seeing here in Jonah. But the gospel parallels for us, I mean, let's face it. Every last one of us here this morning have experienced storms in our life. Life is difficult. Life is tough. We've all experienced storms. We've all been in rough waters. And we will all face storms. So we've faced storms and we will face storms. Just because you've faced a few in the past doesn't mean there's going to be none in your future. That is wrong. As long as we live on this sinful earth, we will face more storms. One commentator about the Lord said this, and I found this profound. He says, His purpose is to that those who belong to Him through faith in Christ should learn to trust Him through the storms. So really, what I'm seeing here and what I'm seeing, the encouragement for us in the gospel, it's really about how we react to those storms. And I get it. And if you're like me, sometimes you act more appropriately in hindsight. I understand. I'm guilty as charged. 
but it's more about how we react to these storms. That's what's important. We have some practical examples from the book of Jonah because, let's just face it, we we saw some things on how not to react. So let's just go through how not to react. We shouldn't be reacting in despair in life when we face storms. What we're talking about here is self-pity, having that whole mentality, I'm just falling apart. I can't handle this. This is how the ship responded. You want to be the ship in the story of Jonah? Be my guest. What does it say? The ship threatened to break up. (laughs) Reacting in fear, that's not a way to react. That's a way to say, I have no hope. You're accepting the fate of death. Because of Jesus, we have hope. Because of Jesus, there shouldn't be any fear. We shouldn't react in fear because we know that we have an everlasting, eternal life to come because of our faith in the work of Jesus. But this is how the mariners responded. Because what does it say? They reacted in fear. It says, then the mariners were afraid. We can't be reacting in man-made religion. Even last Sunday in James, we discussed calling out a brother and sister in error. When we see a brother and sister in error, and in error not to the Caris Fellowship, which is the fellowship of churches that we belong to, not in error according to the Baptist way, whatever Baptist sect you belong to or whatever sect of the Presbyterians, because when I say Baptist, there's multiple. When I say Presbyterian denominations, there's multiple. There's not just one. Not the Methodist. I'm not calling out that error. We're calling out an error to the gospel, an error to the person and work of Jesus, what we know about us compared to our only hope. This is really no different than creating your own version of God. And we know that people do this because what do people do when they're in distress? When they find themselves in that storm in life, or maybe they feel like their life's in danger, what do they do? They create that man-made God and they say, Oh Lord, if you just get me out of this situation, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise I'll never do it again. That's a man-made version of God. We don't tell the Lord who He is. He tells us who He is, and then our responsibility after that is to worship Him. Again, the mariners, they did this. They responded by reacting in a man-made religion where it says, each cried out to his God. They each had their own God. It doesn't tell us specifically who their gods were, but they each had their own. One God. One way. One truth. One life. That is the gospel message that we are united in. We can't be reacting to life's storms or any storms in that matter according to human logic. Whenever A happens, B must be performed. That's how we think as humans a lot of times. But this is precisely how the mariners responded. What did they do? It says, they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. This storm wasn't happening for any other reason than Jonah 
disobeying the Lord. Throwing cargo into the ship to lighten the load was not going to calm anything. Another way in which we cannot be reacting is an escapism. And what we mean by that is this, avoiding consequences. Doing something that provides basically temporary relief and temporary relief only. Now, this is how our protagonist responded, Jonah. Because what does it say? What did he do? He wanted to provide some temporary relief for himself. He wanted to escape the situation. It says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Think about this for a moment. Think about it. Here's Jonah being asked to call out Nineveh. Essentially, he's being asked to preach the gospel to a great city. And you're going to see the word great. You're going to see that adjective a lot in this book. He's being asked to preach the gospel of repentance to this great city. Yet he can't even share his faith with a few sailors. No wonder why he's running. Can you relate to this? Do you have friends or family or coworkers that you find it a struggle to share the good news of salvation with? I think we all can say yes to that, can't we? I'm confident in calling all of us out in that because here's Jonah who's doing the exact same thing, but yet the Lord used him to preach the good news of salvation to a great city. And the Lord has four chapters in his book comprised of 66 books. Jonah's story comprises one of those 66 books. Again, the Lord can work through sin. There's nothing that the Lord can't work through. Jonah would rather practice escapism. Brothers and sisters, these are all examples of how not to act. So as Joe comes up and joins me and we near our close this morning, we must realize that Jonah had an opportunity. That's what's important here. He had an opportunity. See, the captain woke him up and he asked him to call out to your God. That's what the captain asked him. Jonah had a direct line to the one and only living God. Something that no other sailor, no other mariner on that ship had. So this is really the question that we should be asking them. Does God provide a solution when no one asks for help? Does God provide a solution when no one asks for help? Well, I want to encourage you in this. As we continue in the book of Jonah, we're going to find out that the answer to that question is yes. Yes, God does. Jonah might have failed these pagan mariners. He may not have shared with them, but the Lord did not fail them. Brothers and sisters, there's something significant within these first six verses. and It has everything to do with the title of our sermon this morning. Nowhere to run, 
nowhere to hide. Not only is it impossible for Jonah to run and hide from God's presence, it's impossible for him to run and hide from what's more important than that at this point in the story. And that is, there's nowhere to run and hide from God's mercy. When we stand before the Lord someday, not one of us will have the excuse. We cannot deny that God has extended His mercy to all of humanity. And the same is true for the mariners, which is why the captain said, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Brothers and sisters, like Jonah, we represent a God full of mercy. Mercy reserved for all of humanity. But this is the most important thing that we have to remember and we have to get this straight. Inclusive mercy is available to all who exclusively repent. And that's the reason why we're saying mercy is all-inclusive for those who've exclusively repented. The gospel's not exclusive. The gospel is not for this selected club of people here and not for anybody else. No, the gospel is for everybody. But it's only for everybody who have chosen to repent it, which is why we're saying mercy is all-inclusive for those who've exclusively repented, repented from your sins, turned away from those sins, and turned back to God. And this is only made possible because of the person and work of Jesus. Also, this morning, we also said this, God's mercy can be refused, but not his presence. We have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And finally, never forget that running from reality is to deny God's mercy. Let's pray. Lord, in your sovereignty, you have chosen to extend your mercy to all of humanity. Our prayer as a church, especially as we want to know, grow, go, Lord, I pray that we can share that mercy with others. That we can be vessels that you use to carry the good message of salvation through the person and work of Jesus, on to others. It is in his name that we pray these prayers. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.